Last night, we had the men's gathering at Dave Bennett's home. For those of you who were there, you know how wonderful of a time it was. There were so many men in this home, we were spilling out the doors. I don't think we could have fit one more guy. It was awesome. And the Holy Spirit was really moving in us, especially when we went to breakout groups after we heard the talk. And guys were encouraged to share things that were going on in our lives. And in the small group that I was meeting in, man, guys got really vulnerable really fast. They were sharing their deepest, darkest stuff going on in their souls, and we were praying for each other. It was powerful. One of the guys said, man, we sound like a bunch of women. And I thought, well, if that's true, then the women know something. We don't know. We should do this more often. This is really good. And like I said, the Holy Spirit was just bringing just real conviction in all of us. We were sharing deep things, and I started feeling that too. I started feeling the Holy Spirit bringing conviction about something going on in my soul. And then my next thought was, oh, man, this thing that the Holy Spirit just revealed to me, I have to preach on that very topic tomorrow morning. So I realized that today's sermon is for me. It really is. And I think maybe some of you might share the same thing as well. I had this whole introduction planned. It was really clever. It was quite good. But I had to scrap it (laughs) to tell you what I just told you, that I really think this scripture is going to speak right to my heart and maybe to some of yours as well. The basic message of this text is that it shows us the difference between operating in a human economic mindset and how things work in God's economy. And this is something I really struggle with. When I operate in a human economic mindset, I tend to be motivated by fear and scarcity. But when I step into how things work in God's economy, I'm motivated by faith because I see the abundance that God provides. So there's some governing principles of how things work in God's economy that this brief and profound paragraph shows us. The first principle in how things work in God's economy that I want us to see is this amazing truth that in God's economy, there is always more than enough. In God's economy, there is always more than enough. Verse 10 says it this way. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. He who supplies seed to the sower will supply and multiply that which we need for sowing. What does this mean? A little bit of context would be helpful. This is 2 Corinthians. It's Paul's second letter to the church in Corinth. The church in Corinth was one of these early churches, you know, after Jesus died and rose again from the dead, people were assembling just like we are right now. And they were talking about what had happened, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And these churches were being birthed all over the place. And Corinth was such a city where one of these churches was being birthed. And Corinth was an interesting town. Corinth was actually very wealthy. It was competing with Athens to be a major city in the ancient world. And in the Corinthian church, they had a whole mixture of people socioeconomically. There were some poor people there. We know that because they were dealing with deacons and who's going to wait on the tables of those who don't have any provision. But there were also people of noble birth in the church. There was even the town treasurer 
which in the ancient world in Corinth was a really big job, and this person had lots of wealth. And so Paul was writing in 1 Corinthians, he was thanking the Corinthian church for financial gifts they were giving to the church in Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem seemed to be struggling financially, and churches like the one in Corinth were sending them money. It was an amazing thing to be happening in the early church. Here were these Gentiles in Corinth who had a little bit of extra money, and they were sending it to the Jewish believers in Jerusalem. Let's call it in the inner city. But something happened between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians where the church in Corinth, for one reason or another, stopped giving to the church in Jerusalem. So possibly one of the reasons for Paul's second letter is to re-engage their giving, to remind them that their brothers and sisters in the inner city still need help. So he sends this second letter, and if you look at the paragraph before the one we read today, Paul is encouraging them to start giving again to the church in Jerusalem. Okay, so that's the context. And he says to them, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. What's happening here, I think, is that Paul recognized that the church in Corinth, though they had much, though they had been generous at one time, may have slipped back into thinking of human economic realities. For one reason or another, they cut the line item in their budget to be giving to the church in Jerusalem. And Paul is calling them out on this. They had forgotten some deep truth. They had forgotten to be operating in God's economy where there is always more than enough. When we think in human economic terms, we think of supply and demand. We think of scarcity. We think of running out of resources. But Paul reminds the church and God reminds us that in God's economy, we don't need to have a scarcity mindset. Hear this again. He who supplies the seed will multiply it. He will multiply the supply. That doesn't make sense in human economic terms, supply and demand, if you have a supply that's being multiplied. But in God's economy, there is always more than enough. They got stingy, this church in Corinth did. This is where it really starts convicting me. This is what I was feeling last night. The Holy Spirit was showing me. Because I have more than enough. I know that in God's economy. But sometimes I get stingy. I want to tell you just a little example of this in my own life. In our kitchen in the parsonage, the sink is right at a window. And right outside the window, we have a bird feeder hanging. You know, one of those like glass cylinders that you put the bird seed in and you fill it up and the birds come and eat. Well, we love this. The kids love looking at the birds. You know, it's nice to see birds while you're doing dishes. Well, a couple of years ago, we realized that if you put the cheap bird seed in the bird feeder, these non-colorful birds come. But if you buy the $40 bag, (laughs) some of you have gone through this calculation yourselves. If you buy the more expensive bird seeds, these beautiful birds come. They're attracted to these other kinds of seeds. So I went and got the $40 bag and started filling the thing, and beautiful birds started coming. Mr. Palmer, Gary Palmer from the children's ministry, he gave my children, Riley and Eva, this 
field guide. It's like birds of Connecticut or something like that. And they have so much fun standing in the kitchen and finding, hey, look, it's a yellow-bellied warbler or whatever these things are called. They know the names. And these beautiful birds come to the bird cedar and the children were delighting and the more birds were coming and the children were delighting. I was getting grumpy. Because <laughs> I saw this bird feeder diminish all the time. That's all I could see. I was fixated. Every time I walked into the kitchen, I would look, and there it is. Boom, the birds had eaten all the $40 bird seed again. Listen, you should be laughing. This is ridiculous. I was fixated on this thing. I was thinking with a scarcity mindset, a fear mindset. I was thinking, for some reason, we're going to run out of money feeding these birds. Now, that's not even true. There was no, no material difference, really, in the Hart family budget between the $40 bag and the $20 bag, but for some reason, I was fixating on this stupid bird feeder. I'm confessing this to you guys. This is my confession booth today. <laughs> I got stingy, so I cut the line item. I stopped buying the bird seed. You can pray for my kids. This is a hard dad to have. I know what it's like, this church in Corinth. They stopped giving to the church in Jerusalem because for one reason or another, they started thinking with a scarcity mindset. They thought, we can't afford that anymore. And so Paul sends this letter to them, and he's encouraging them to not think in just human economic terms, but to think how things operate in God's economy, where there is always more than enough. God will supply and multiply what you need when you are generous. The second principle of how things work in God's economy is in verse 11. Very interestingly, and it's this. It says, this is the way I'm, I'm phrasing it, that in God's economy, there's more than one way to measure wealth and poverty. In God's economy, there's more than one way to measure wealth and poverty. The people in Corinth seem to have been slipped into thinking of wealth and poverty only in material terms. Look what it says in verse 11. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. You'll be enriched. And it's like Paul's looking at the church in Corinth, and he says, I see that you're rich, but do you want to be enriched in every way? Because Paul sensed in them a poverty of spirit. You see, oh, they had plenty of material provision, but there was something lacking. There was a poverty in their spirit when they stopped giving to those who are in need. And he says to them, you want to be enriched in every way so that you can be generous in every way. That's how things work in God's economy. There's more than one way to measure wealth and poverty for only thinking in the one terms of finances. We're missing out on a whole enrichment that's available to us in God's economy. I know people who are not very materially wealthy who I consider loaded spiritually. Do you want to be enriched in every way? Nancy grew up on a military base, and I've been fascinated learning all about what that was like. She grew up at West Point not too far from here. Her father was a football coach there, and she lived there for 16 years. She got a really long dose of community life on an army base. And it's been interesting hearing about how she was brought up in that community, and we compare it sometimes to our community now, right here in this neighborhood. And there are some differences. Nancy remembers growing up whenever one of the army moms 
would have a baby. All the other moms in the neighborhood would just show up with whatever was needed. Some of them vacuumed the carpet. Some of them brought food and casserole dishes. Others just brought friendship or care for the other children. They were wealthy in community. Nobody living on an army base is getting rich materially. But they are abundantly wealthy relationally. Whenever there's a need, the community just fills in. And even as I describe that right now, some of you are thinking, man, I would love to have that. Nancy and I now live in this neighborhood, and sometimes we see when a woman has a baby, for example, nobody really shows up to help, maybe the closest friend or two, but they don't really have to because a lot of people who live in a neighborhood like this with lots of material provision, they have money that can make some of those problems go away, can pay someone to vacuum the carpet or bring food or care for the children. But you see, what happens when we have a lot of material provision, sometimes it actually isolates us because we don't have that vulnerability that brings community into our lives to help us in times of need. That's how God's economy works. It doesn't just measure wealth and poverty in one way with finances. It says there are other ways to be wealthy and there are other ways to be poor in God's economy. He goes on in verse 12 to say this, For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. We were looking at this text last Thursday at the Thursday morning men's Bible study, and one of the guys, he, looked, he was looking at this and he said, it's like there's this flywheel that happens in God's economy, where the more you give, the more you realize you still have, and the more you realize how generous you are, and then you give more, and then you realize how much you have, and then you're gener- uh, grateful, and then you're generous, and then you're grateful, and then you're generous. There's like this flywheel just producing and producing and multiplying effect. That's how it works in God's economy. In human mindset, in human economy, it's kind of the opposite. I don't know about you, but this is how I feel. The more I have, the more protective I get of it. And it's an opposite spiral, you see. The more I have, the more protective, the more ungenerous I get sometimes. But in God's economy, the more we give away, the more grateful we are, the more generous we are, the more grateful we are, the more generous we are. That's what Paul is talking about here. Do you want to be rich in every way to be generous in every way? I want to live like that. I don't want to focus on the bird seed. Just being honest. I want to be generous as God has been generous to me. And that leads to the third principle that we see in how things work in God's economy. Whereas in the human economy, we have a scarcity mindset. We have a limited amount of supply. In God's economy, the economic engine, the thing that drives God's economy, is the grace of Jesus Christ. And the grace of Jesus Christ is an inexhaustible resource. Do we realize that? Paul leads the church in Corinth to this next truth in here. He realizes some stinginess in their hearts. They had been operating with a scarcity mindset. They stopped giving. And so he knew the exact thing that they needed. And he knows the thing that we maybe need. If we ever start feeling ungenerous or stingy or the scarcity mindset. He says, remember the gospel. Remember the gospel. 
Remember what God has done for you in Jesus Christ, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up generously for us. Will he not also then give us all things? Verse 13. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Do you feel ungenerous? Do you feel tight-fisted? Do you have a scarcity mindset? Maybe you don't know or you have forgotten how poor you were in sin and how generous God has been to you in sending Jesus Christ for you. Tim Keller makes this point quite clearly in his book, Generous Justice. He says, until the coin drops, until the gospel coin drops in your heart, you will never truly be generous. Because when that coin drops, we realize what he's done for us. How ge- he, didn't ha- he could have been stingy with us. <laughs> but he's poured out his very own life. Let's look at one chapter previous to this one, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. Can you put that up on the wall? This is an interesting way of describing the gospel. For you know, it says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. This is what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. When that coin drops, when we realize this, it, make, it frees us up. We can think of our stuff and our resources in different ways. Tragically, some preachers over the years have taken this and they've turned it into what's called the prosperity gospel. God wants you to be rich. Well, he does want us to be rich, but as it says here, enriched in every way so that we can be generous in every way. Some of us have, I saw saw this on Twitter the other day, or, or Instagram. It said, some people are so poor, all they have is money. When we believe the gospel, we are enriched in every way, whether we have a lot of material provision or a little. Paul Barker comes to mind. Some of you know Paul. Paul and Mary Barker, they go to our Stanford service. I got Paul's permission to share a little bit of his story. Here's a guy who knows the gospel. Here's a guy who's operating on the principles of God's economy. Here's a guy who just gives his life away. Here's a guy who's not necessarily materially rich, but he's rich in every way. Paul Barker is the man, in case you don't know him, we've mentioned him before. He used to show up at the Stanford train station every morning at 4 or 5 a.m. handing out sandwiches every day. He would make sandwiches late into the evening, wake up before, while it was still dark, and hand sandwiches to homeless people until last year when the city of Stanford told him he couldn't do it anymore. Paul is always there whenever somebody's moving in the congregation. Do you want to know who your real friends are? Say, I'm moving, can you come help? 
By the way, I'm moving next week, so... <laughs> we have plenty of help. I've showed up a few times and people in the congregation when they're moving. Every single time I've showed up at someone's house when they're going to move, Paul Barker was there with his pickup truck. He got there before me and he usually leaves after I'm, I'm already gone. He's just there. And one time I was helping somebody move and Paul showed up with a different pickup truck than he had before. And I said, hey, nice, nice, to, nice new pickup. That's, that's good. Did you get rid of your old one? He said, yep. That's all he said. I learned later that he had a new pickup truck because he gave his old one to somebody. One of the pivot guys graduated from the program and has skills in carpentry and wanted to launch out and start a new business. And Paul knew that he had no way of doing that without a vehicle. So he gave him his pickup. I called Paul to ask him if I could share this story. And he said, yeah, that's fine. You can tell him that, Pastor. But just make sure they know it wasn't my idea. I said, whose was it? And he said, who's God's? God told me to give him the pickup. Now, when I compare that kind of living to my fixation on that stupid bird feeder... You think I'm joking, but this is a real thing. You can ask Nancy. I, I, it's not just the bird feeder. It's a symbol for me of a scarcity mindset. When, when I compare Paul's generosity with my scarcity, I want to be like that. I want to operate on the principles of God's economy where there's always more than enough, where wealth and poverty are not just measured in, in one way, and where I understand that the economic engine that drives God's economy is the inexhaustible grace and love and mercy and power and provision of Jesus Christ. Who wants to make the shift this morning with me out of human economic mindset into the way things operate in God's economy? Amen.